Grapple fans, and now the end is near, and so we face that 5-0 curtain. My friend, I'll say my name for one last time, of which I'm certain. I'm your let me tell you something co-host, Lorcan Marlin. And more, much more than those, my co-host, Simon Cross. I couldn't find a way to rhyme Cross very easily. I felt very much like Billy Gunn in the New Age Outlaws there. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, this is the last of the Five Star Project episodes where it's just us talking about one match in particular. From now on, when we get five-star matches, we're not stopping the presses and restarting the presses because that takes like three hours. Just figured that Simpsons episode. Whilst we're whilst we're off at Moe's. <laughs> you won't have to hear that so often, maybe, going forward. Well, I mean, it's not like we're not going to stop doing weekly episodes. <laughs> we're just going to get to do weekly episodes of what we want to talk about. If anything, you're going to get more of these. <laughs> I suppose, in a way. But what these are, obviously, are episodes of Let Me Tell You Something, the Melter Five Star Project. For the last time, it's just going to be about one match. Going forward, we'll be bunching them into episodes of five matches. They might be five times the length of these sort of matches, these sort of episodes. For the love of God, let's all hope not. <laughs> but it's a fairly unique prospect now. For what was once a promotion that we were talking about as frequently as we've been talking about New Japan and AEW in these last couple of years. We're back for the first time in 24 years in the promotion's existence to talk about a match that Dave Meltzer didn't rate five stars. He rated it five and a quarter stars. So, out of all of those All Japan matches that we've covered before, Simon, this is, in theory, the second best match All Japan have ever put on after the original six-star match of Toshiaki Kawada and Mitsuhara Masawa on the 3rd of June, 1994. Right. So after all of those many different dates and periods of time of waiting one way or the other, where are we, when are we, and who are we talking about? We are at a event at All Japan Pro Wrestling's Giant Series, taking place on the 5th of November. And we are looking at a Triple Crown Championship match between... Katsuhiko Nakajima and Yuma Aoyagi. One of the reasons that it's obviously been a while since we've covered All Japan was because of that mass exodus of talent in the early 2000s. At a time when All Japan was already winding down in the frequency of their five-star matches from Meltzer because Misawa, Kabashi, Kawada, Tawei were all really the walking wounded at that point, or barely walking. And just the freshness wasn't there that much at that time. Vader came in and refreshed things a little bit, but I don't think he had any matches that Mel's thought were five-star worthy at that period. We did have Jun Akiyama, but as we were saying just in the previous one about the fact that Okada had to carry a generation's worth of responsibility, 
that really was what carried over with Jun Akiyama, as no other big stars were made of past those guys. And that was the frustrations of that are what led to the exodus and the creation of Noah. It was a bottleneck, wasn't it? No one was really hitting that, getting through the glass ceiling to be with the the, uh, Kawadas and the Misawas. And whilst All Japan was able to thrive, at least in the short term after that, purely thanks to the intervention of New Japan. For the first time, you had All Japan and New Japan working with each other, and Kijimuto just having a year to end all years as far as the wrestler's output in 2001, which we covered briefly. Well, not briefly, but we covered in an episode of Match of the Week where we talked about what, for many people, was the best match of that era and probably the best All Japan match post-Exodus, where the returning one-time hero of All Japan, Genikiro Tenru, faced the invading New Japan guy of Kijimuto for the Triple Crown. And then, at the start of 2002, Kijimuto took over All Japan Lockstock, and really, his love of the American style of things led to a greater emphasis on Gaijin talent, because they didn't have that homegrown talent that they were building up. Those guys were off stealing the show on Noah shows, involving Kenta and Naomichi Marafuji and the like. Yeah. Some Both of those guys reached a level of success, and Marafuji essentially became the... Well, there was that whole thing, wasn't there, with the Go Shiyazaki run recently as to who was the embodiment of Noah from those times. Sugiura, Shiyazaki, Marafuji, Kenta. But none of them attained that level of popularity as the Four Pillars had done in All Japan. Nor were any of them getting the sustained five-star plaudits from Meltzer, as those Four Pillars were. And similarly in All Japan, you just weren't... they, They so quickly sunk in the pecking order and... Kijimuto's methods just weren't creating stars of a calibre enough to rebuild the promotion to the heights that it was. And very soon, instead of it being the case, as was throughout the 80s, 70s, 80s and 90s, where All Japan and New Japan were jostling for the top promotion, and as a result they were both getting plenty of homegrown talents, it was pretty obvious from the 2000s onwards that it was like, New Japan first, and then either the cast-offs or the people that didn't fit those New Japan requirements. Just trying to find a foothold anywhere in a, in a wrestling scene where, in Japan, just across the board in the 2000s, was struggling because of the MMA spate, the, the failures of pro wrestlers in that spotlight, and therefore changing the perception of what pro wrestlers were in the public, and just maybe just stars not of that caliber being around as much. Obviously, Eiji Nakamura's and Tanahashi's and that, but... You know, you look at who were the perennial top guys in all Japan for the past 20-so years. I'm guessing they're people that don't really mean anything to you, Simon. Suwama. Joe Doring was, like, their top guy, Jim, for a very long time. Satoshi Kojima. Breadman! Was the top guy in all Japan because he went with Kijimuto. But even then, he ended up going back to New Japan over time. Kento Miyahara eventually ended up becoming, essentially, the ace of the promotion. And Meltzer kept bigging him up. With his matches, but also giving all those matches four and three quarter stars. So we were We did actually watch one, didn't we? We watched one with the intent of doing it as a match of the week. Yes. Which was a match between Kenta Miyahara and Jake Lee. But we and it wasn't a it was a good match. But I did not have anything that I felt was of worth to talk about with it. Mm. And given our conversations before we started recording this one, it seems like you if we'd have tried to do this one for a match of the week it might have fallen down a, di- a similar avenue for you. Yeah. As that Miyahara-Jake Lee match was. I mean, I'll say right now, 
Like, my ratings of this match couldn't top out at four stars, yeah. really. It, but I did. I liked it enough for what it was, but I really struggled to see where Meltzer saw five and a quarter stars in this match. This match made me sad. Well, I was going to say, it used to be the Triple Crown matches were sold out matches of the Budokan. Yeah. Now they seem to be in a hotel function room. Oh, God, the audio on... Um... Ayo Yagi's entrance, that was not the, the nail in the coffin for me. Not the, not the size, obviously, that was all one thing. But just seeing that, it's just, it's a little tragic. I don't know if it's fair. It's not tragic. On, it's not because of the wrestlers that are no, tragic. No, no, no. I think it's just ever since the Noah thing, it's always been like, what was all Japan was taken away from all Japan. It's tragic within the framework and the lens that I have viewed all Japan through. If you think about it that way, because obviously all the All Japan matches, yeah, all the All Japan matches I've watched have been through the Five Star Project. One of the reasons I bought into the idea of doing the project was to broaden my horizons. Well, it did seem like those All Japan, that spate of All Japan matches definitely took you in a way that like Joshi didn't. Yeah. And you'd seen enough of like the old Ric Flair stuff already to know what you were getting there. But All (sighs) Japan 90s, which for many wrestling fans, many wrestlers, CM Punk said, I remember CM Punk saying in an interview to him, the peak of professional wrestling was all Japan in 1993. Yeah. I got the sense that you absolutely got where they were coming from after watching those matches. I had like those, that period. Those, those Super Generation, Saruta Goon, Six Mans, and then the Four Pillars tag team matches. Yeah. Were maybe the peak of enjoyment for us during the Five Star Project, I think. Yeah, I'd say so. A possible exception, maybe the Okada and Mega Run, but mm. well, yeah, obviously, yeah. But similarly, also when it came to like the ninety-seven, ninety-eight, ninety-nine matches, we were like, these are good, but they're not as good as they were. And it's also more of a is this just a force of habit with Meltzer now? Like we sometimes feel with those New Japan matches that, like, I remember him giving like a six-man tag involving Giant Babas, and I was like. Like, for me, I can't go more than, like, three and a half for this, and that's being yeah. generous. So it then sort of became a... Di- we, we always say it's like once it breaks a barrier with Meltzer, like, it's like the levee's breaking, and then it's just easier for more to come out. Like, the fact that Nakajima had that match with Kento Miyahara at Noah that he did go over five stars with just made him more, like... He then sees Nakajima as a guy that he gives five-star matches to... Yes. So he gives it to this one as well. Yeah, he does. And this is definitely an. Inf- it feels like an inferior version of that match, but it also I want if it, to me. I think it feels like the story of this match is meant to be that it's an inferior version of it. It almost felt like they weren't going out there to have a five star classic in my eyes, like they were with the Noah match they had. That this was the setter to a rematch of that match that's going to happen at the start of January, and a decent chance we'll be talking about that in maybe our first cluster of five star match. Oh, uh, so so this is how we get to their January show, basically. Yeah, which will be headlined by Nakajima defending the All Japan Triple Crown against Miyohara. Because Miyohara is on commentary during this match. I don't know if you watched the stuff after the bell rang. No, time constraints, uh, peek behind the curtain there. Or just Simon not being able to control his schedule. I get you a timetable for your birthday, Simon. That's a joke. I'm never buying you anything for your birthday. I would like to point out to listeners that the, the delays in recording are at, at best equal. <laughs> My questions are the delays in the recording time. My question is the the windows you give yourself 
to do them. Yeah. Well, God knows now we've got five matches in clusters. You're calling me like you're texting me three hours in advance saying, let's put this up. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't tell me four of these matches were Iron Man matches. Are you one of those people that just always assumes everywhere that you need to get to is like 20 minutes away? Are you one of those people, Simon? No, I'm not. I'm not one of those. But you kind of assume that every five-star wrestling match is going to be about 25 minutes away, don't you? I think that's wishful thinking on my part more than anything else. To charge up your bingo cards, I I am sick of epic epicness. Well, to be fair, I didn't feel like this was an epic match. Maybe because it wasn't in an epic setting, you could literally see the back row. Yeah, aesthetically. Look, and look, and there's been five-star matches in PWG, but that's been PWG's thing the entire time. That's consistent. That's underground. That's gritty. That's urban. We've gone from watching stuff at Sumo Hall, all the glamorous prestigious venues for Japanese wrestling to now I almost expected Bora and his mate to start running through naked like uh, they did at the insurance convention you had your trousers down in anticipation for it as well didn't you <laughs> I know what you mean like uh, the base you feel like the base level is Karakuen Hall which is where I think all Japan do usually have most of their big matches and I think once a year they try to do sumo hall yeah um, just lots of dark lights is this a house of black match no (laughs) in a way (laughs) (laughs) so the story as best as I could cobble together reading up on it and everything is that Aoyagi is the future for All Japan that's the perception in All Japan at the time and it's been fairly early on because when he graduated and got to debut at the time Jun Akiyama had returned to the promotion and was their president and their figurehead. And that he was a key part of training Aoyagi. And he gave him his blue colour. So Aoyagi is kind of the inheritor of the Jun Akiyama mantle in that regards. Like, like that was a statement being made by him coming out in blue. In that blue. And we do... And right. There's a version of that blue now in what he's wearing in this match. Although it's your modern day collage of colour trunks that you have now. And his little flaps. Yeah, I kind of wish there was a... That All Japan had stuck to that whole thing of just everyone has their colour and we just stick to it. And and that was also what the WWF had, really. Uh, and I kind of missed that as well. But now it's all... Everyone's got their fancy stitch works and everything, which half of them do it themselves as well. So, everyone... Everyone's well, an artist these days, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> what, pro wrestling? Nah. But yeah, so... Oyagi had been trying to reach that pinnacle of all Japan. He's actually very young as far as things go. He's the youngest... I read that he's the youngest Triple Crown winner of all time when he won it back in June, although he is also, like, 27 or 28. Oh, okay. So that's a sign of, like, all Japan is still, like, you've got to earn your stripes to get to that point. No Randy Orton's here. And that during that time, he had essentially been the Kabashi to Miyohara's Misawa. Like, early on, he got brought into Miyahara's faction. But then, in order for him to break out for himself, he he left the faction. And he won the Triple Crown from Nagata, Yuji Nagata. Because that's what happens now to New Japan's... You lose all your G1s, you become a novelty on the undercard, but you can go to other promotions and be their champion. <laughs> <laughs> but Yuji Nagata's still, Nagata's still awesome and still was having great matches. And I'm sure that was a good match as well. And All Japan, just like all the other promotions within Japanese wrestling, it seems like within American wrestling, we've always seen it as like the winning the title is the be-all and end-all, and very often you don't have a plan after that. 
Or yeah. if you're WWF and it's John Cena or Hulk Hogan or whoever, the plan after that is just, yeah, they then they keep winning. Ah, the hardcore Holly school <laughs> fucking... He was a genius to match Bill Watts and Gato combined. <laughs> <laughs> but with equally unfortunate politics. But... <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he doesn't, but he's from Alabama, so I'm going to assume he is. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, that's a mantard with the same brush there. A mantar? Well, let's not get him into this situation. <laughs> Mantar's political leanings. Oh, recently <laughs> departed, unfortunately, Mantar. So good for you for laughing at him, Simon. The kind of person you are. Wait, 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 wait. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, the fact we're talking about Mantar <laughs> rather than the match. I think speaks volumes. <laughs> Aoyagi then defends it a few times against some of his contemporaries and some of the other, the aces of the previous generation, like he defended it against Suama, who was like a many times champion carnival, triple crown winner. But the defense before this was against Miyohara, who until that year, he'd never beaten in a singles match. He had beaten him already in the year in the champions carnival. But every time it had been for the triple crown, it had always been Aoyagi challenging and Miyahara successfully defending. I think I looked up, they've had 11 singles matches. So going into that match, before this match, it was 9-1. And it's meant to be a brilliant match. Like some people are saying that that was a five. I think Meltzer gave that four and three quarter stars. And at the end of that match, Aoyagi's finally seemingly overcome that great hilt. Like he's knocked off his perch. That's Okada maintaining risk control, winning the IWGP title. That's the initial thought. Then who turns up but recently left Noah, Katsuhiko Nakajima, who just so happens to be to Miyohara what Miyohara was to Aoyagi. (laughs) And so he's able to say, oh, you beat Miyohara, join the club. Yeah. How about you defend this title against me? So obviously now for Aoyagi, the story going into this is, can he not just surpass Miyohara, but surpass what Miyohara was never able to do and surpass Nakajima. And you look at the first five, six minutes of the match and it really, you do not go into this thinking Aoyagi's the promotion's ace, defending champion. He seems nervous and Nakajima seems full of confidence and just has these deadly kicks that Aoyagi has nothing to defend himself against. Now, I watched the match prior to learning all of this information. I've learned all this information at the same time as you guys, as you listeners have. And I have never felt more doing the Five Star Project like I was watching just some bum than when I was watching... Um, really? Aoyagi in the, in the first few minutes. Just not, not, not in terms of his performance. All right, okay, okay. In terms of how he was being presented to me. That was not what you see a Triple Crown champion usually wrestling like. Yeah, yeah, that's my point. Just the Smash Brothers melee game where you just hit the big sandbag and try and hit it as far as possible. That's what I was seeing. I was seeing the Street Fighter uh, level where you beat up the car. I was just, that's, that's all I could think of. To be fair, I think with Nakajima's kicks, he could do some damage to a car. Yeah, yeah, I'm not... I'm not saying he couldn't. Obviously, we have a certain level of ignorance. I think people who are deeply into Japanese wrestling probably drives us crazy. I've probably got several things wrong about Aoyagi already in this build-up. Oh, correct. So sometimes we watch these too much through the New Japan prism, probably because we follow the Meltzer five-star rating, so we see so much of New Japan, and then when we see a Noah match or an All Japan match for the first time in like 15 years within that series... 
we can only refer it against New Japan. Mm. Or what we know of them before. And so then when I'm talking about Go Shiyazaki and his great title run that he was having at that time and had those that match with Tsugiura that we gave, that I think I might have given five stars to as well. The main thing that we keep pointing out is how much he looks kind of like Okada cosplay. Yeah. With the hair. And so then when it's like the first moment Aoyagi is able to gain any kind of control in this match is when he perches Nakajima on the top rope, drop kicks him to the outside and then starts beating him up on the outside. Well, who do you think I'm going to be thinking of based on my time of watching what I do of Japanese wrestling? Yeah. <laughs> Big Okada vibes there. Yeah. The only thing that was making me think of like how you looked at when we looked at like Shinya Hashimoto, Hiroshi Hase in the match of the week because we didn't get to look at any 90s New Japan outside of the junior division. What we noticed was more strike focused, much shorter match, fairly more simplistic story, no layers, no epic length or anything, whereas All Japan it was all about that. And it was more North American. The strikes were forearms, except for Kawada who were bringing the kicks. Yeah. Forearms and chops and that, more down the traditional wrestling rather than the martial arts elements of it. Towards the end of when we were doing the Mel's Five Star Project, I remember it was like the, I think it was the Dragon Lee Bandido match in PWG. And I was like, there is no Mexican wrestling anymore. There is no Japanese wrestling anymore. There's no American wrestling anymore. There's this hybridized melange of just the way that everyone wrestles for the most part. Yes. That's not entirely true, but it definitely feels like maybe when we're doing the five-star matches, it's the style that Meltzer likes, because it's like it's taken all these different parts of wrestling that Meltzer was giving five stars to, and it was like a required reading list, plus some British mat wrestling, because Meltzer would have never given that stuff star ratings, but people uncovered it once the internet became a thing. The internet, YouTubes and everything, and people could get more easily all that world of sports, so then that technical mat wrestling style started to come back a bit more. Outside of, like, the offshoots of it within the New Japan style. Or the work shoot stuff. Yeah. The only thing that made me think classic All Japan was it seemed like every other German suplex was getting a pop-up no-sell. Yeah. Every other suplex was pop-ups in this match. I mean, Osprey kind of did a pop-up in the match we did previously with Umino, but his was just like, I'm standing, I'm falling into you, I'll do a hidden blade. Yeah. Whereas with this one, it's just like, that German suplex has done nothing to me. <laughs> or I'm not going to allow, accept that it's done anything to My me. My neck is titanium! <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Bless all Japan. That was the only part of this that made me think the old-fashioned all Japan having its own identity and ideology. To be fair, as much of that is down to the fact that New Japan matches, especially under Okada and them lot, took that All Japan length and scale and... Style. Multiple kickouts and 40-minute length and gradual accumulation of intensity. So that's not All Japan's fault. It's just what wrestling is now. But what are they left with? Mm. This is the problem. Yeah. To make it stand out, especially since you don't have any real storyline or emotional connections, the main thing you know about Katsuhiko Nakajima coming into this is that he's kind of cool, he's kind of got that Shinsuke Nakamura vibe, and his kicks are deadly, and if he slaps you, you may go into a different dimension of existence. (laughs) Yeah? But even then, the slap with this match, it wasn't filmed as well, it didn't reverberate as much. And didn't look as deadly, and it didn't even lead to the the finishing sequence. Listen, Krusty, the acoustics in here are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, again, the, the 
they're unfortunately penalised by the environment they're in. Not their fault. Well, if there were better draws, maybe it would be. <laughs> yeah, he, look, he's... <sighs> You've listed off everything I know about him. Still, really, after this match. Like, I've not really developed anything. And I, I have said, when we have dropped into promotions or storylines or threads as part of this project, one of the things that makes a match five stars in my eyes is the ability to go look at it for like two or three minutes and know exact pretty much broadly exactly what's going on or as much as they can within the ring granted there's not all you can't always fill in like backstory within like two three minutes of ring action but you can get a very good idea of who am i meant to cheer for who am i meant to boo what's what's the dynamic you don't think they told you that story i think they told me the story that that nakajima was massively superior and look it's from a sample size of one of seeing Aoyagi. Let's put that caveat in right now. I don't see what I'm meant to like about him. I think he's got the traditional young man fire to him, really, at this point. Yeah. Similar to what Umino's doing, except he's in a higher position, I guess, because you're kind of they're churning through it a lot quicker than them, really. And you don't have as much of a young lion's period, and you don't really have much of a, young, a learning excursion. But that was never really all Japan's way. When they debuted, they wouldn't be all in black. They might be in simplistic trunks, but they wouldn't necessarily have a learning excursion abroad. Some of them would, some of them wouldn't. They would just build their way up the card gradually over time. It's not just suddenly, boom, I'm, I'm suddenly... No. I'm really into disco music now, or whatever it is that uh, <laughs> <laughs> a new Japan dojo graduate would come out. It's like... Yeah. Uh, or like any WWE character from the early 90s. I'm a plumber now! Somewhat, somewhat. But obviously with Japanese wrestling, it's because you are following this progression over the course of their career. Yeah. And obviously we're diving into it in like book two, chapter three of Aoyagi's story, I exactly. suppose. Again, which is why I added the caveats to my opinion. Hopefully, now he's... Now simultaneously we have streamlined our five-star project not in terms of length of the actual episodes but in terms of the frequency anyway and now he's hit the smash through the glass ceiling there's two new avenues of being able to explore him well i'm gonna go on the assumption that nakajima miyahara will probably get five stars from Meltzer at a base if they you know because of what they've got to do is match what they did before and it feels like this will be an even more important match, especially to Miyohara. Whether he wins or loses, he'll want it to be on his home soil, like an equal to that match he did for Noah. Yes. And Nakajima's obviously trying to make a statement of intent by leaving Noah. I mean, there was all kinds of mysteries. Tony Khan was asked if he'd be interested in taking Nakajima into AEW. He has got a cool look, a, a fascinating story. You know, he was involved in, like, fights when he was 14 or something. <laughs> <laughs> Made a living kicking people. And he knows how to carry that charisma. He does have the vibe of a Nakamura to me. Yeah. Uh, in, in all the positive ways. I love his drop kick push against the person whilst they're in the whilst he's in the rope. It's got very much Tranquilo vibes. For me. Yes, he is like a, a combination of Nakamura and Naito. Absolutely. I did wonder if he'd end up in New Japan. But maybe because they've now got four homegrown guys they want to concentrate on that they've brought in, maybe there is less of an opening for a, a Nakajima that there might have been three or four years ago. It doesn't really match their... Like, as we spoke in the previous episode, it doesn't really match the philosophy they strive for, does it? But again, another fascinating thing, that he does the slap and he does the brain buster, and I think that might have been how he beat Miyahara in the previous match. I might be wrong. 
and Aoyagi kicks out of that and he does do not like the over the top shocked face there is some sort of like okay this kid's got more in him than I thought he had yeah so then he hits him with the Northern Lights bomb which was famously the finisher of Kensuke Saki the trainer of Nakajima and Miyahara. Ah. And his pin then on Aoyagi, it's like that kick out was the final bit of anything that Aoyagi had in him. And so then with the pin, it was really telling. It was like, it wasn't a foot on the chest pin, but he wasn't like holding him down or hooking his legs or anything. He was just, it was quite a dominant. Jim Ross would be flipping his lid if he saw that pin fall. (laughs) (laughs) But the story of it is that he had just destroyed him completely. And so Aoyagi, as we've said, in New Japan, it's like winning it is easier, is easy in relative terms. Because I think ultimately what they want to do, probably over the course of two or three years, is have a story that is Miyahara and Nakajima being obsessed with each other, and then Aoyagi surpassing both of them. I assume is where they would want to go eventually. Because again, like we were saying how New Japan maybe are going to have have Jay White, Will Ospreay and Omega fail to become the dominant champions in New Japan ahead of Okada and Tanahashi in the case of Omega, but the homegrown stars will be the ones that do it. Similarly, the fact that these two guys in this story, that ultimately they weren't trained by All Japan. They're not All Japan guys. They're Kensuke Sasaki guys. And these things are a factor. Japanese. And in WWE as well. There's going to be a fascinating situation over the next few years with NXT being based not around people who've had indie scene appeal but there being openings to bring in AEW talent and at that point at, the, at least you can't say we've got a TV train you because AEW talent is TV trained and that's why we got this whole thing about where are they going to put Jade Cargill yeah so it's nothing unique to Japan but it's interesting to see you know it's like the fucking they had Triple H go over Sting at Wrestlemania <sighs> We say it that, but we're not gonna. Are we gonna say if they then book Aoyagi over these two guys, even if he's not quite as good? Or are we gonna go? Yes, that is respected to the traditions of the fine work of Japanese pro wrestling. You know, fair point. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I would go no more than four stars. Maybe if I was being kind, four and a quarter. I mean, it seems like you might go even below that. Nothing was wrong with what they did. It just didn't grab me. So there were cool spots. The back suplex on the apron again, kind good. of a callback to yeah. what all Japan was all about back in the day. Although it was always the bump to the outside, and now New Japan, fucking hell, we just saw Will Ospreay doing a storm drive. Although not the storm driver ninety three version, yeah. I guess <laughs> it was fine. Like I say, it, it didn't grab me. That's not its fault. Again, I don't know a lot about what's going on in all Japan at the moment. If I did have the benefit of that knowledge or context maybe i would have more of an emotional investment in this however i can only take it as i find it so i'd i'd go about the four mark i guess because there was nothing wrong with what was executed well it's always one of those things where you've got to say like uh, like if you give a main event that goes 30 minutes three stars it's a lot more worrying that if you just gave like a a seven minute mid card tag team match three stars there's a wide range of enjoyment and disappointment within one rating and maybe it is a perfect way to end this time of us doing it like we can't just keep doing just one match because it's taken up too much of our time the fact that it's a in the promotion that was the first promotion really along with all japan women where Meltzer was just going crazy with the five stars for a while you know misawa only relatively recently got surpassed by okada for five star matches and then osprey as Fucking this year alone, I think. Sprinted past him. So the fact that now it's like, and that this, and it's not just that this was a five star match; it was a five and a quarter star match in a an 
well, you can't call it an arena, in a space. <laughs> conference room. That All Japan would have held press conferences for their upcoming Triple Crown matches in the past. Yeah. Is where this Triple Crown match took place. It's almost, obviously, it's the same reflection of All Japan, but it's also like a reflection of the decreasing value of a five-star rating from Meltzer as far as making a match a must-watch match and where we felt we've had to take the podcast as a result of that. Yes. So it's a bit of a downbeat to end it on, but it's not over. It's just repackaged. It's essentially like your dad still loves you, but he's only seeing you every other weekend of (laughs) five-star match reviews going forward. Hmm. Getting that much contact. But... Hey, fuck. We got a free DVD. We got ourselves a DVD every time we went to HMV at the fort after that. That, was, that wasn't too bad. And there Lorcan's love of cinema grew. <laughs> and inability to find lasting love continued to grow. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's happened. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> oh, man. So five stars like the that's happened have descended into cliches that people use too much and end up making jokes about. And that is what happened. So for the next episode, whilst it's a December tradition, we're going to put it out on the 30th of November. It is going to be the rerun, the rivalry. We're back, baby. It begins. And it is a rivalry that got referenced a fair few times in a recent five star match. So we've gone back and we've watched every match that they had in the singles one-on-one category in the promotion of Ring of Honor. Unless come by the time that's finished, maybe we're going to have lined up a match 11 sometime next year. You never know. (laughs) Tony Khan, I would not put it past him to to get that booked. But it is rerun the rivalry two, and it's Brian Danielson versus Nigel McGuinness. The first episode of which is going to be them facing off in a title versus title match for Brian Danielson's Ring of Honor World Championship against Nigel McGuinness's Ring of Honor Pure Championship under pure rules, which we'll delve into more in the episode. And the event was Weekend of Champions to Night 2. But Simon, until then, if people want to get in touch with you, with other examples of naughty sitcoms that you can reference and take punchlines from. <laughs> How can they do so? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free, free for the number of metatarsals that Ayoyagi had to remove from his chest once this match was over. My name's Lorcan Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A at the start of Aoyagi and N for the N at the end of Repetition, which was something I was doing with the name Aoyagi several times before we started the recording, and I hope I did the name justice. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterbox. If you put at gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that thank you for listening to us Talk about five-star matches with an in-depth analysis, the likes of which maybe the matches warranted, but they didn't necessarily warrant it from us. <laughs> and they're not going away. They're just being repackaged. Now they're really into disco. <laughs> but until then, my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a five and a quarter star time. Until the next time. <laughs>